0: Pray for us. Father God, I just ask like only you can that you would show up in this room today. Because what we know is we need to hear from you. Without you, this is just noise. So God, would you teach each one of us today? And will we walk out knowing we've heard from you? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me ask a question. By show of hands, has anybody ever used Ancestry.com? Ever gone on there? Okay, a few of y'all. I see some hands coming. Um, so my mom, apparently, several weeks ago, she did this. And she was so excited that that weekend when she saw me, she said, you're never going to believe this. I was on Ancestry.com, and we come from Israel, and we're from the tribe of Benjamin. And I was like, what? I'm just saying, right? Like this website, a few clips, few clicks with your mouth, I'm not really sure how that can get us all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. But I will tell you this. In that moment, it was just so cool to think about what kind of people I came from. And one of the things that we've been doing over the past couple of weeks is we have just been talking about the kind of people that Jesus came from and we've been using the scripture reference Matthew 1 which is basically like an account on ancestry.com. Now we we've been discussing how when it comes to genealogies and bloodlines that in this particular context and culture it was like your resume. So when you listed your genealogy you left out the crazy people, left out the ones that the black sheep, the ones that did shameful things. You would only include what I call the highlight reels, right? Just the best of the best of your family. And what is so interesting is as we've been walking through Matthew chapter one, we see that just like us, Jesus has some shady and shocking people in his bloodline. And the thing that really is what's most shocking about this genealogy that we see walked out in Matthew one is that women were included, five to be exact. Now, last week, James talked about Bathsheba, and there's a lady named Ruth, and I need to tell you, it's a great story. In fact, her story is so good, they named a Bible, uh, a book in the Bible after her. Um, Mary, she's the mother of Jesus, and today we're going to talk about the remaining two, Tamar and Rahab. Now, the reason this was so shocking for women to be included in a genealogy is, I need you to know, in this time period, women were thought of as possessions. They were second-class citizens. They... Men very rarely regarded them. In fact, some Jewish men, they would say when they would go to bed at night, thank you God for not making me a woman. I mean, that's how bad it was to be a woman. And what I love about Matthew in chapter one, when he included those five ladies, he didn't just honor them. He affirmed and esteemed the immense value that God has for women. And so, we're going to jump in and just go right now to Matthew chapter one because I want to show you where Tamar and Rahab fall in this genealogy of Jesus Christ and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nathan, and Nathan the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father. Of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. Now we find Tamar, you see her in this in this lineage, but we find her story in Genesis 38. And let me tell you what the first five verses are like. A guy named Judah, he decides he wants a wife. So he finds this Canaanite woman. um, They decide, hey, we're a great match, and they connect, and they have three sons. They have Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Now, apparently some time has passed between verse 5 and 6, because in verse 6, the Bible tells us that Judah went out to find a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and the wife he chose was a woman named Tamar. But then right after that in verse 7, it says that the Lord thought Saul-Ur and thought everything he did was wicked, and so he struck him down dead. Now, I just have to ask... How wicked do you have to be for God to strike you down, right? I mean, and I'm kind of wondering, is this like near their honeymoon? Is this that? I'm like, I'm not really sure where this happens. I just know he's dead. And I just think that would probably make me nervous if I was Tamar. Now, a couple of things happened because of this. Because it was a really big deal for Tamar because... Now she was in this society, in this culture, and one of the things that women were pretty much supposed to do is you were to provide an heir to your husband, who would carry on the family line, the legacy, keep their name alive, and just so you know, that could only be carried through a son. So here she is, no husband, she has no son, and something else that's really interesting is because she had no husband and could never get a son, there was no way she could kind of secure her place within the tribe of Judah. So it left her in this limbo. But lucky for her, the people of Israel, they created some laws around this. And I want to show you in Deuteronomy 25, it reads this way. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead husband shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Okay, so this, these two verses, they're called the Livrite, Livrite, excuse me marriage law. And so let me tell you how this works out in, in Judah's life. Judah's firstborn son marries Tamar. Ur is now dead. Well, according to this law, Judah should now give Onan to Tamar, and Onan should give Tamar a son. It's the law. You can't get around it. So Onan has no choice. So Judah comes to him and he says, hey, go into Tamar and produce offspring for your brother. But Onan's not exactly about that. Because the Bible says that when he goes into Tamar, Onan intentionally spills his seed. You see, he he doesn't not just want to give her a son. She doesn't want to give her any kids. And you think to yourself, man, why would he do that? Well, he knows a couple of things. If he gives Tamar a son, that son will take the place of Ur and become like the firstborn. He will receive all the rights and privileges and inheritance of a firstborn. And I need you to know, in this culture, the firstborn received the devil portion. So if he gives him a son, that's going to happen. And he'll never get a chance to kind of move up the rank since his older brother is dead. But something else here is, is that he knows that if once Tamar has a son, every son after that he has will have significantly less. Than that first son, because again, that first son that he gives Tamar will take the place of Er and be as if he's the firstborn of the family. So this is in verse ten that the Bible says that the Lord saw what Onan did as wicked and he struck him dead. Okay, I just gotta ask, what's up with this family, right? I mean, how how can you two brothers be so wicked that the Lord would strike them dead? And I don't know about you, it just kind of makes me want to think about Tamar for just a few minutes, right? I, I don't know how you would feel. Um, I would start to wonder, like, what is the likelihood of this, right? I, I mean, there's this part of me also that would say, I really just can't find a good Jewish guy. What is going on? Because they keep being so wicked, they keep getting struck down. And then we have Judah. He thinks Tamar has some sort of curse on her because, again, two of his three sons have married, have married her and, and they're dead, So Judah's really worried about losing the third son. So he says to Tamar, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go back and I want you to live in your father's house. And when Shayla gets old enough, I will give him to you. Well, She agrees and she goes home. And over a course of time, she learns a couple of really important things. The first one is this. She finds out that Shayla is now grown up, but Judah did not give him to Tamar. She learns that Judah's wife is dead, and she learned that he would be coming nearby to get his sheep sheared. So Tamar crafted a plan, and she took off her widow garbs that she had been wearing, and she put on clothes that resembled that of a prostitute. And so she went and stood kind of on this corner um, where Judah would have to walk by as he was going up into the hill country to get his sheep sheared. And so, of course, Judah comes by, and again, his, his wife's been dead, So he sees Judah, and he's like, hey, we should hook up. And so, again, she's a prostitute, so she's like, hey, what will you give me? And he says, I will give you a goat from my flock, a young goat from my flock. And so Tamar said, well, what will you pledge me right now so I know that you're good for it? And he said, what would you like? And she says, I would like your signet ring, your cord, and your staff. Tamar's super smart because a signet ring was specific to that man. They were not identical ones so you could know whose it was by looking at it. And it was as if when she asked for these three things that Tamar had literally just gotten his driver's license number, his DNA, and his fingerprints. He would be easy to identify. She had all the things that she needed in this culture to identify him. So they get together and the Bible says she conceives, and Judah goes home. Well, once Judah gets back home, he realizes that he needs to make good on this promise to this woman. So he sends a friend back and says, hey, it was on this corner, on this corner. I met this chick. Here's where you need to go find her. She's a prostitute. Take her to go. So her friend comes, can't find her. So he begins to ask around to all the people that live nearby, kind of saying, hey, where's that prostitute that usually hangs out over there on that corner? And they're all like, yeah, there's never a prostitute there. We don't, we don't know what you're talking about. So the friend comes back and he says to Judah, hey, here's what they told me. Tell me what you want me to do. And Judah says, yeah, never mind. Just Let's just let her keep this stuff because if people find out that I did that, they will laugh at me. Because what Judah did was so foolish. So three months go by and word gets back to Judah that Tamar, his son's widow, is pregnant. Now remember, she, she's not under her father's authority anymore because she's no longer a virgin Because she married into Ur's family, she's under Judah's authority, and so Judah gets to call and decide what happens to her, and he makes the decision. Let's burn her. So as they're preparing everything to get that whole burning fire slash bonfire going, she sends back to Judah the ring, the cord, and the staff. And she says, please identify these things, who they belong to, because that is the father of my child. And I would imagine when they brought them to Judah, he would have known right away they're his. And in this moment, I don't know about you if you've ever had those moments where you learned something that you did, it got out, and you're so ashamed. You wouldn't want people to know this about you. I would imagine this is how Judah would have responded because when he slept with her, he had no idea he was sleeping with his son's wife. Incest, very shameful. And so I would imagine in that moment, the blood would have drained from his face. I would imagine his stomach would have felt like someone had kicked him really hard. I would imagine that he would get really lightheaded and have to sit down. And there's just part of me that thinks he probably threw up at least once. Because when you get that kind of news, it's just horrible when people know your stuff. Judah gets it together. He kind of processes all this. And it says in verse 26, this is how he responds. She, Tamar, is more righteous than I because since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he, Jonah, did not know her again. See, Judah didn't follow the law. He was supposed to give Shailah to Tamar. And Judah just owned right up to it. Man, I was wrong. I was wrong. And he never slept with her again. Now, God honored this, and he gave Tamar twins, Perez and Zerah. And what's so interesting is I need you to know um, it was considered a blessing of the Lord if the Lord gave you twins. So it was unbelievable that she was just trying to get one son, and God gave her two. What's also interesting is in Matthew chapter 1, Perez and Zerah, they're the only two descendants listed under Judah. We don't know what happened to Selah. If I'm a betting man, I would say he was wicked and got struck down dead. That seems to be the system over there in his family. But what we do know is that Tamar is this woman who was done wrong, so she does wrong because she is going to get what is legally hers. And she tricks her father-in-law into, speak, into sleeping with her. And somehow God allows her to become pregnant. And here's why this is so important. When we look in the Bible and we look about the, the foreshadowing of Jesus, or when we read in the New Testament about Jesus, Jesus, like in Revelations 5.5, 5, it talks about how Jesus was from the line of Judah and the root of David. And I need you to know That without Tamar, the bloodline of Judah would have disappeared. But somehow, this woman named Tamar, who's been widowed twice, who's been done wrong, God includes her name in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. That is amazing. Now let's talk about the second lady we're going to talk about today, Rahab. Now Rahab, she lived in a city called Jericho. um, And this is in Joshua chapter 2. And so a guy named Joshua, he was in charge of all the Israelites. He took the place of Moses. And so they were going to, he was going to lead them into the promised land. And so before they took over Jericho, their first city, he sent two spies into the city of Jericho. Well, as you can imagine, they did not look like everybody else in Jericho. So it was very easy for the king's men to... Come to the conclusion, hey, we've got some spies. They look like they're some of those Israelites. So the king says, hey, find out where those two guys are and let's get them. They get word that these two men are at Rahab's house. Now, Rahab, she lives in the city wall and she's a prostitute. So the fact that two visitors would be at a prostitute's house is not a shocking thing. Now, I need you to know these men did not come here for that, all right? But Rahab hid them on the roof of her apartment home that she had. And the king's men came to her door and said, There are two spies in our midst, and we heard they came to you. Give them to us now. And she looks at them, and she says, Yes, they did come, but they left because they knew that the city gate was about to close. Now, I'm not sure which way they went, but I want you to know, I think if you hurry, you can catch them. So the soldiers, they left, they went downstairs. She actually was able to see them walk out the city gate and the doors closed. And then she went upstairs to her roof. She dug out those men because they were under a pile of flax. And this is what she says to them. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you When you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. And then she goes on and she says, Listen, since I have saved you, when you guys come to take the city, will you save me and my family? And they. They look at her and they said, just as you dealt with us, we'll deal with you. If you do not tell anyone that we've been here, we will come and rescue your family. So they go to the window because she's going to lower them down the scarlet cord. And and this next little part is so encouraging for me because um, she gives them really good directions. And I'm directionally challenged, so it gives me hope that one day I will be good at giving directions because I see someone here who's giving great directions. And she tells them, go into the hills, wait three days, and then go home. So as they're getting ready to climb down the scarlet cord, the men look back at her and they say this. When we come, the scarlet cord needs to hang outside your window. And everyone that is your family that's related to you, they have to be in this house. And if they are, we will come and we will take them to safety. So the plan was for Joshua to lead the men around Jericho for six days. And they walked around Jericho one time. For six days and they go back to camp but on the seventh day they marched around Jericho seven times and then the priest blow this horn and then Joshua begins to share about how the city is ours and everything in it's going to be destroyed but then he goes on in verse 22 but to the two men who had spied out the land Joshua said go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her So the young men who had been spies, they went in. They brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. Because she has hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Isn't that just amazing? Because I need you to know, it's not just amazing that God used a woman. It's amazing that God used a woman who was a prostitute. And somehow he used her for his purposes and his plans. You know, if we keep reading along in the book of Joshua, we find that Rahab married a really great guy, um, Israelite, named Solomon. And, um, in the month of December, I tend to watch a lot of Hallmark channel movies. And so as I was preparing for this, it just kind of came across my heart. I wonder if Solomon was one of the guys, one of the two spies that had come and met her because that would really make a perfect story. I just couldn't help but think, did he see this courage in her? Because I need you to know when she lied to the king's men, she was committing treason and the penalty for that was Death. And Solomon and Rahab together, they have a son named Boaz. And Boaz marries a lady named Ruth. you got to read her book. But when we look at these two women, what we see here is we have two women that are involved in questionable actions. But somehow God deemed it the right thing to do to include them in the bloodline of Christ. Now if you get nothing else today, here's the big truth I need you to walk out with. Their names are included in the line that leads to Christ so we can know our names can be included in the line that leads from Christ. Their names are included in the line that leads to Christ so we know our names can be included in the line that leads from Christ. So you might be thinking, well, how, why do we have to believe this? Why is this true for us? Well, a couple of things. Just like us, these people were sinners. Not only did Jesus come for um, the morally outcast, but he was a descendant of them. And not only that, I mean, their sin was sexual in nature. We have Tamar, oh, she's involved in incest, and Rahab is this prostitute. And it's just this whole craziness. But because of their sin, they're women of disgrace. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was an unwed, pregnant young girl surrounded by rumors of sexual scandal. But God, in his grace, he came for sinners. All sinners, and because of that, we can be assured that He came for us as well. You see, these sins these people have committed just remind us that even sinners can be included in the line that leads from Christ. You see, there is no sin that disqualifies us from being brought into the family of God. Something else is number this number two is like us. They had messy stories. I just, again, tame our incest. Lifetime movie, right? I just, wow. Rahab, I'm not even sure what to process that. But, but here's what I do know. If we're honest, there's some people here in the room with us today, and we have some crazy, messy stories. And we would be mortified if our stories were written down in a book and published or placed on the screens for all to see. But what, what we see in these women's lives is There's no story that's so messy that God cannot redeem. There's no story. But the enemy would have us think differently. Like he would let us think, oh, wow, you have sinned too much too far, Susie. Yeah, he'll never take you or he'll never take you back. Or the enemy has this tape that plays in our head that just reminds us these messy stories. We're just screw up. We're going to always be this way and God can never redeem us. He can never use us for his glory. And if we look at just Tamar, who would have thought her actions would have led to the continuing of the line of Judah? Or Rahab, because of her faith, she saved these spies, and she gets grafted into the line of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the interesting things about Rahab is that she is one of two women mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is this chapter in the New Testament that is all about people of great faith in God. And Rahab is mentioned right alongside Abraham's wife, Sarah. But let me tell you how they refer to her in verse 31 in chapter 11. By faith, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Even in the New Testament, they're pointing out she was a prostitute, they're pointing out who she used to be. But she was grafted into the line of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? What a picture that God can use any one of us. In fact, in James chapter two, James talks about because of her great faith in God, it led to her works, which is when she saved the spies. I mean, she's mentioned several places in the New Testament. You see, their stories are messy, so that we can know even people like us with messy stories, we can end up being included in the line from Christ. And when I think about really all the people that are in Matthew chapter 1, and in particular I'm thinking about the women today, but they had no idea what hung in the balance for them. I mean, it never occurred to them that the decisions they make would not only impact their life, but their descendants after them. And I can't imagine what it was like when Rahab or Tamar got to heaven and they found out that the king of kings and lord of lords was a descendant of theirs. That would be a showstopper for me. I would say, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Because that would just be unbelievable that I could be related to the savior of the world. But it was true for these women. I mean, their, their stories are such a picture of God's grace. And I want to share this quote from Tim Keller. His grace includes the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. Some of us just believe the lie that His grace is only for the good. It's for the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. Another reason we can believe this truth for us is that just like us, they were Gentiles. And the reason that's good news is because they weren't Jewish and neither are we. Jesus came from Gentile ancestry. We know from the five women mentioned in the genealogy, there was a couple of Canaanites, a Moabite, a Hittite. And what I love about this picture is that Jesus is this diverse, ethically diverse person. He didn't just come from the Israelites. He came for the whole world. In fact, we talked about this some last week. This speaks the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And he said to Abraham, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed by you. I need you to know, they did not grow up Jewish. But they married in and God grafted them into the family line of Jesus Christ. And he does that for us today. Now this last reason that we can believe that this truth is true for us, that our name can be included in the line that leads from Christ, is that like half of us in this room today, these people were women. And I just, I I cannot really communicate the unbelievableness of these women being his genealogy. In fact, if you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus treated women, it was shocking because he treated them with worth and value and honor. But I know in a crowd this size, there are probably some women in the room that just need to be told, hey, I need you to know you're not a second-class citizen. I need you to know that you have the same freedom and rights in Christ as anyone else in the world. I need you to know that I have come to set you free because there's this tape that plays in your mind. Because in a crowd this size, I can't help but think that there are some women in the room that you, maybe you've made some... Choices that created sin, maybe by sexual nature or something else, but it's left you shameful. And I just want you to know there's nothing you've done he can't forgive. And God loves you. And he doesn't love you with this generic smiley face kind of love. He loves you and all your inner secrecies, all your freckles, all your whatever you have. He loves all the weird things that you do. He loves you specifically. And I also think there are some other women in the room that they have had some unspeakable acts done to them. Maybe as they were a child or in college. And they just keep hearing that tape the enemy keeps playing about, oh, you're so second rate. You've been used up. God will never use you. And I just want you to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. We've got to pay attention to the tapes that the enemy's playing in our head. And we've got to measure them against the word of God. Let me give you an example. So at my house, um, we add the phrase, in Jesus' name. So if I was to say out loud, and this just happened this week, oh, I'm such an idiot, my husband goes, you can't say that in Jesus' name. And he's right. So that's how I know it's not true. But what I want to tell you is some of you women in here, man, you've got to change your tape. You've got to get in the word of God, put it in your heart. And you've got to pay attention to what the enemy is serving you up, and you need to stop eating because he is trying to destroy you. You know, in Matthew uh, 28, verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples of all the nations. Not just some of the nations, not just go make disciples of the brown-haired people or the blonde-haired people. Go make disciples of all the nations. And I just, I started thinking about this, and it, it just brought me to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Here's what that tells me. There is no sin so great that God cannot save us. There is no story too messy that God cannot redeem us. And I don't know if you know this, but every single one of us in this room, we are a whosoever. I say that I'm a whosoever and I want you to know it's amazing to me that I could be a whosoever because I know me and all of my craziness along with my family but here's what I want to say to you in this moment when we all say we're all whosoever's, there's two different groups of us in this room there's some of us who are whosoever's that you've already said yes to Jesus you would say I'm a follower of Christ Susie I got this and here is my challenging question to you today. Do you still have the same awe and wonder of God as you did when you first said yes to Him? Because what I know to be true in my own life is that over time it's really easy with schedules and hard things happening and just craziness and busyness, it's really easy to lose the awe and wonder of God. You know, one of the, one of the reasons I love Christmas is, is just... It recenters me on the all and wonder of God. I need to tell you that. But just this idea, just this knowledge that God sent his son in the form of a baby to save us. Because he knew we couldn't save ourselves. And it reminds me of the miracle of God dwelling among us in the flesh. And another reason I just love Christmas, because in the midst of this all-and-wonder. It reminds me of the miracle that God did in me and through me. I'm telling you, if we were in a lineup, you would never choose me to be the one you'd save. You would look at my sins and my list and you'd say, "Woo, she is too much work. And that's what you say. But I want you to know that with God, yeah, he has an awe and wonder that he longs to give us. Now the second group of people in the room that are whosoevers, maybe this is new information or or maybe you're visiting or maybe you've been coming but you just haven't taken that next step with Jesus. Well, I wanna help you with that this morning. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come down. And as we just settle in this moment, I, I wanna share this quote with you. The family tree of Jesus is a picture that God's love and faithfulness knows no limits. There are some of us in the room that have come in and you just feel dirty and ashamed, and I need you to know his love and faithfulness have no limits. There's some of us that have come in the room and our stories are so messy. I just need you to know his love and faithfulness has no limits. It doesn't matter your gender or your age or your race, God's love and faithfulness have no limits. So if you're here in the room from right where you're at, you can say, Yes to Jesus by simply praying with me from right where you're at. Father God, we just admit that we need you, that we are a sinful people. And God, I just acknowledge right now that I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And right here in this room on December 18th, I want to say yes to Jesus. Take my life and make me in the person want me to be now if you made that decision to say yes we don't want to be weird but we want you to raise your hand and let us know because we have a resource we want to get into your hand so if you said yes to this decision to Jesus man just keep your hand high because I've got people coming to you right now and when they put this resource in your hand you can put your hand down Want you to know, man, if you said yes, God's the one who's drawing you to Him. He's so amazing. For those of us who said yes, I just want to say welcome to the family. And for those of us in the room that you would say, I have lost the all in wonder, Susie. My prayer for you is that you would begin to lean into God right after you sing this song and you would press in and ask God for the all and wonder to be restored. Let me pray for us before we stand and respond. Father God, we love you. I thank you for the courage that it took for people to raise their hands and say yes. And I thank you, Lord, for the people in this room that are just honest enough to admit they've just lost their all and wonder for some reason or another. But my prayer is that as we respond to you in song, God, that you would begin to restore their all and wonder of you to them. May we never forget the miracle that you did in us. In Jesus' name, amen.